0: When Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen handed out the annual DHS Awards for Employee Excellence, Michael Hafer was among them. He's chief of the Office of Performance and Equality at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and a silver medalist in the Meritorious Service Awards category. And he joins me now. Mr. Hafer, good to have you on. Thank you to be here. Tell us what you do. What does it mean to be the chief of the Office of Performance and Quality?
1: Well, the Office of Performance and Quality really is all about data. The one thing for your listeners to know is that USCIS is primarily fee based. Um, so uh, that means that uh, the revenue coming in is based from the applications that uh, the, uh, the applicants, the employers, the new immigrants file with us. And so part of my job, one of my main parts of my job, is to to forecast how many people will be applying, and then to make recommendations to to how many people should be hired so that we can efficiently um, process those applications.
0: And is there a seasonal quality to this?
1: Yes, there is. Um, I think that there is a seasonal quality in terms of various applications, such as naturalization. Uh, One of the things that's interesting there is that uh, naturalizations seem to peak in March to April time period, which we think actually is probably related to um, the IRS getting refunds, uh, and so uh, we, we see more in that period. We also see in naturalizations there's also an effect for each presidential election where we see uh, people file before the elections.
0: Interesting, and uh, now, when you see say these caravans or whatever coming, do you do some analysis on how many of say a given situation might result in applications for citizenship?
1: Well, um, we try to do that's the, a hard uh, one yeah, right? that is a hard one. I think that uh, the citizenship uh, application is really one that is very difficult to estimate, even though uh, you would think it be more regular because there are certain nationalities where they do naturalize as soon as they're eligible, but there's others that do not. And so it's more of a reaction to external events, uh, such as, I mean, 9-11 had an impact where people felt a little threatened and they naturalized more. That's hard to anticipate that, of course. Um, so sort of like the stock market, I say. It's really somewhat emotional it's hard to, hard to predict, but we did the best. We try to do the best we can on that.
0: Sure. And aside from news events, which are really rough ways to estimate what's going to happen, do you have specific data sources or things that you look at for trends that over time have proven accurate?
1: Yes, that's what we do. We, we do statistical modeling and try to control for certain events. Um, some of this is sort of we're demographers here as well. So we understand the population of people that are in the United States, how many lawful permanent residents in the United States, The best example, again, probably is naturalizations. At certain points in time, people are eligible to naturalize, and we can use that information about their characteristics and patterns that we've seen over the last 40 years to try to estimate when they might naturalize, or some may be renewing their green card. And So we we use those data to make estimates using various modeling techniques.
0: It's almost like Social Security, knowing how many people are going to turn 62 or 65, and then they make some estimate on payout based on the averages that happen when people do hit that age.
1: Yes, and we actually work quite closely with the uh, Social Security Administration Actuary Office to provide them information um, about the populations that we see coming in so they can you know, make their estimates of the, uh, the funds there.
0: I was going to ask you, are you an actuary or are yeah. you a data analyst? How do you describe yourself generically?
1: Well, I am a statistician, uh, but I've done... I, what I would call demography—we're looking at the population—but I'm mostly an immigration data person. I've uh, actually uh, worked in the immigration area since 1982, so a long time. Um, and at one point, I was the head of the uh, Office of Immigration Statistics at DHS, which is the office that um, coordinates all the information within DHS. And now I'm here at USCIS in this job. So I'm, I'm really an immigration data, and so I. I It's not an official title, but that's the way I would describe myself.
0: We're speaking with Michael Hafer. He's chief of the Office of Performance and Quality at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And do you use standard types of databases? And I guess what I'm asking is how has the analysis changed in terms of the information sources and tools that you use you know, say, since the 1980s?
1: Well, one of the things is that we do have databases uh, that are, don't talk to each other. This is a common problem that you see across government. And we're doing a lot now to try to improve the data that's made available to us. I think a lot of the work, I've also done a lot of work in policy offices where you're trying to understand the process of immigration. And so we get questions like, how many students then become temporary workers, how many of those persons become lawful permanent residents, how many of them become naturalized citizens. And to understand that, we have to have records that are person-centric. Our databases aren't, in the past, haven't been that way, but we're moving to um, try to have person-centric databases in the future. And we're working across DHS on that, too, because um, uh, you mentioned the, the caravan earlier. Um, there is was also... Uh, we have to work all together in the immigration domain to be consistent on data. We've got efforts to do that at the DHS level.
0: I imagine having a person-centric type of data analysis ability would also help USCIS with service that it provides and case management to people.
1: Yes, it does. It does. It would be. I mean, part of it, as I said, we we, we try to be as uh, we want to be as efficient as we can, and having a person-centric system where we collect information only once. Um, It ties the records together. It really will create efficiencies and improvements that should be able to provide better services. And also, of course, um, security as well. So we're moving to using more biometrics to establish the uh, uh, person identity and to uh, consistently use that data over time.
0: It seems like so many professions have been transformed or changed at least by information technology, that almost everybody is an information technologist, even if you're not really an IT person.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that that is true. One of the things that we're doing here as well at USCIS is we're one of the first agencies within DHS to have a chief data officer, uh, works for me, and uh, we understand the value of data. Again, partly it's the nature of our work, but we want to be as efficient as possible, and we we have lots of data on our applicants and we haven't always used it to the best. We want to try to mine that data to provide the best services we can. Even though I am, my job is as a reporter, I'm sort of the tail end of data uh, as a person. One of my jobs also is to be the official reporter of data, and so I need to depend on reliable data, but that extends throughout the whole agency. And so some of the things that we can do to improve data consistency which we're doing with the chief data officer and standards, and within DHS, really. Sure.
0: And what about the analytical tools that you use? Are they mostly just spreadsheets, or do you use some of those highfalutin things that have come out in recent years?
1: Well, you know, I think some of many of our requests are just fairly simple and straightforward that people ask for. But in some of the modeling that we do, as I said, uh, we're doing survival analysis, we call it, in terms of whether people naturalize sort of demographic techniques. And uh, so we in time series analysis. So we are using some of the things that have been around for a long time, but we will be getting into more of the, the data science um, techniques. It's sort of the machine learning.
0: And um, you've been doing this for 36 years. You must really like this work.
1: I, I do. I, I feel very fortunate to have sort of just lucked into this job, and it's really become you know my life. Part of it was being a statistician as well. I wanted to learn about immigration, and i had the opportunity to. To, be on, to work on immigration reform at various points in time. A lot of immigration policy comes down to numbers. And so I've been right there in the room when policy decisions are being made. It's a lot of fun. I
0: mean, when you hear some of the public debate going on about immigration, you must say to yourself, those people don't know what the heck they're talking about, <laughs> but they nevertheless have opinions.
1: Yes. Well, I was not the originator of the technique to estimate the number of unauthorized immigrants. That was some of my colleagues at the Census Bureau and at INS. But at a later point in time, I was responsible for estimates of the unauthorized immigrants. And when we came out with numbers and estimates, everybody said, well, how do they know? How do they know? And now we've heard ranges from 2 to 25 million. And the estimates that we came out with, there was something like 12 million. And now it seems to be taken for granted that it is 12 million. But there still is a, it is a difficult estimate. There's a lot of information that we may have to make estimates on where we don't know everything on that. So... I've tried to be as professional as I can be, use the techniques, the best data we can, describe the limitations of data to have so people can trust what we're saying.
0: Mike Hafer is chief of the Office of Performance and Quality at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and a silver medalist in this year's Homeland Security Secretary's Awards. Thanks so much for joining me. You're
1: welcome. Glad to be on the show.
0: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at iTunes or Podcast One.